Well, we are in these weeks talking about the subject of faithfulness. And as I've been thinking about this theme, one of the books that came to mind for me is, is probably one of the most life-changing books for me. It came at a pivotal point just before I graduated from seminary. It was published in 1980. But as you know, Eugene Peterson has been a, a very, very important force in my life. His books kind of shaped my own discipleship journey in that period of my life and continued and kind of gave substance to the way I saw what it meant to be a pastor. But uh, he wrote a book that was on the Psalms of Ascents, Psalms 120 through 134, called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, Discipleship in an Instant Society. I think it's a timeless book in, in many ways. Even though it was written in 1980, it describes much of what we're dealing with in 2021. Like I said, it was a game changer for me because it was that sense of the way in which the faith in Jesus Christ is really about a journey, about a discipleship journey of answering that invitation and continuing to answer that invitation to follow him throughout our lives. And, and this book, a Long Obedience, was a kind of a roadmap for that journey, and he describes it also as a as a songbook for the journey, an ancient songbook for the journey in those psalms of ascents that were sung by pilgrims on their way up to Jerusalem for festivals. But Peterson had a nose for truth from sources that others maybe would not look for that truth. And the title of this book, long introduction to get to my point finally, but the title of this book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, is actually a, a quotation from a work by Friedrich Nietzsche, the great atheist influencer of, of really much of, of what governs our philosophical foundations today in this world. And the quote from Nietzsche, he comments on that quote in the, in the first chapter, and I just want to read what he says, because he says, Nietzsche saw something that is true about a society that wants instantaneous gratification when things are going to take a while to get to. But he says, Frederick Nietzsche, who saw this area of spiritual truth, at least with great clarity, and he wrote, the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction, and thereby results and has always resulted in the long run something which has made life worth living. A long obedience in the same direction is what Jesus calls us to, and it's another way to talk about this theme of faithfulness. It is that sense of sticking to a journey of following Jesus, of following the one who described himself as the way, the truth, and the life. That relationship with him is the hadas, Greek word for way or, or road. And it, that way or that road, that journey grows us up into who God created us to be as we literally begin to take on the mind of Christ. And we've been looking in this series at different aspects of faithfulness. From another section of the Psalms, uh, Psalms 9 through 17, which are in some ways all the same psalm. They are a song of faithfulness, of a choice to be faithful in difficult times. They're psalms that really speak to a struggle in faith and the need to persevere in that long obedience in, in the same direction. 
And so we've been looking in these psalms about how they are ways that kind of define those sub-choices of faithfulness, that to choose faithfulness is to choose gratitude, is to choose trust, is to choose courage. And this morning, looking at Psalm 12, we want to look at the way in which choosing faithfulness is about choosing truth. And so I want us to look at Psalm 12 and look especially for how it's a choice for truth. Help, O Lord, for there is no longer anyone who is godly. The faithful have disappeared from humankind. They utter lies to each other. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts, Those who say, with our tongues we will prevail, our lips are our own, who is our master? Because the poor are despoiled, because the needy groan, I will now rise up, says the Lord. I will place them in the safety for which they long. The promises of the Lord are promises that are pure, silver refined in a furnace, on the ground purified seven times. You, O Lord, will protect us. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among humankind. Let's pray. Lord, help us by the power of your spirit to live in light of truth. The hard truths of human brokenness and the redeeming truth of your steadfast love. By your spirit, empower us to hold these things in tension and to understand above all else that there is nothing that will ever separate us from your love. For we pray in the name of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, the one who is the embodiment of love, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In May, uh, end of May this year, Marianne and I had the chance to drive down to California to visit with her family. Her brother is moving to, and sister-in-law are moving to Tennessee, and we wanted to see them before they took that journey and sold their house. And Marianne's niece, Emily, came to dinner one night with us. Emily is a young mom in, in her early 40s, and we were just talking about the upheaval of the pandemic and the politics and any number of things. And at one point, Emily said something like, I don't trust anything that anybody says about anything right now. (laughs) She's not the first person from whom I've heard that particular conclusion. And perhaps it can even be said that it is an understandable, if not appropriate, response to all of the untruth that pervades our world right now. There's a preponderance of lies or of accusations that others are lying that we face into every single day. We're either hearing the lie ourselves and then shouting back, you're lying, or the other is saying the same thing to us. So this preponderance of lies and accusations that others are lying really leads us into a place of 
chaos where sometimes it feels easier not to believe anything. Because when artifice and untruths are the norm, there's a destabilizing chaos that comes about and that characterizes our lives. And then in the midst of that chaos, there's an anger that results, that begins to fuel our lives more than anything else. And it's just uncomfortable to be engaged in conversation with anyone. Trust disappears, and anger breeds isolation. And the space to care for and invest in others goes away. Because we settle into this protective isolation and the stifling reality of caring for nothing but ourselves and protecting nothing but ourselves. And Psalm 12, I believe, is a prayer for times like these. It's a prayer that helps us to contemplate the truth that has the power to reveal and overcome lies. It breathes oxygen back into a world that's choking on the smoke of untruth. And it, it has, I think, three movements in it. Preachers obviously always see three of something in everything, but I, I see three movements in this prayer that lift our heads above the smoke, that help us to focus on something other than the lies and the anger and the isolation that ensue from those lies. And I believe those three movements are, first of all, a cry for help in prayer. Secondly, a choice to hope in prayer. And finally, a commitment to truth in prayer. First of all, I think there is a cry for help here. And that's obvious from the first line of this psalm on, and especially in those first four verses, I think comprise that first movement of a cry for help. Help, O Lord. There's no longer anyone who is godly. The faithful have disappeared from humankind. They utter lies to each other. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say with our tongues we will prevail, our lips are our own, who is our master. Help. It's a cry for help. Things are really messed up, God. And it's hard to know who to believe. It's hard to listen to anyone because everything seems so self-serving. There's an absence of faithfulness, of following something bigger than ourselves. There's the presence of lies and lying liars who tell them. Faithfulness is displaced, offset, crammed out by untruth. And that's described also in the whole notion of, of duplicity or duplicitousness. And the psalmist uses a combination of three images to speak to that duplicity. He talks about lies. He talks about flattering lips. And he talks about double hearts. What great images. We all know what a lie is. It's just something that someone says that isn't true and that we recognize isn't true. But flattering lips are kind of subtle lies. Flattering lips are those 
you know, nice little things that someone says that they don't really mean. Flattering lips. I mean, I just see the lips flapping, you know? <laughs> it's such a wonderful image. Flattering lips. It's good when he talks about cutting them off, too, later on. <laughs> you can always count on the psalmists to give you graphic images. But, but flattering lips and a double heart. This is one of my favorite images from the Psalms because it describes a malady that, that sin creates, this double heart, this, this kind of mixed devotion that happens in us. And the way in which we give ourselves to a particular projection of ourselves in the world and hide a part of ourselves from the world. We're duplicitous. And all of this imagery around lying this kind of artifice and smooth talk and this absence of integrity, it's all based on one big lie that the scriptures talk about. One big lie that human beings tell ourselves, and it's the lie that Paul defines so succinctly and so wonderfully in the first chapter of Romans when he says, for they have exchanged the truth about God for the lie, and they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. It's the arrogance of believing that we are our own gods. It's the essence of sin, the stem cell of all sin, which is an idolatrous narcissism, where we create gods that look just like us and bow down and worship them and then let that idolatry control us. When we say, there's no one who controls us. We are our own master. And so the psalmist cries out, help. This is too big. How do I fight this? It's everywhere. It's in the air that we breathe and it's choking the life out of us. And then the psalm shifts to the second movement, which is a choice for hope in light of this devastating reality of the preponderance of lies. If you read verses 5 and 6, you have that sense of hope and that the choice for it. First of all, with a, a quote that God says, and then a follow-up, almost a liturgical follow-up to that proclamation of God. Verse 5, because the poor are despoiled, because the needy groan, I will now rise up, says the Lord. I will place them in the safety for which they long. That's the promise of God. I will rise up. And then the response of the psalmist is, I'll choose to believe that promise. The promises of the Lord are promises that are pure, silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. The second movement of this psalm is a choice to hope. You know all of this, God. You know all that I'm complaining about. You know what all of what I'm saying help over. You see the plight of the poor. You promise to rise up and restore to the poor the safety for which they long, to make things right, to put us in the place that we were meant to be, the safety of the sheepfold of, of, of the good shepherd who sleeps in the gate. You know all of this, Lord, and you will act. You will deliver. You will refine and purify and repair. And this refining of silver, this burning off of the impurity of lies will happen. 
and happen to the point where those lies become the dross that is easily removed after the refinement and blown away by a simple breeze that's on top of the cooling pure metal. So Malachi predicts when he predicts the fulfillment of all things, he predicts the purity of, of refinement is the, is the image that he chooses. That this heat will burn away the things that are impure and preserve and purify and enrich metal to the point of its wholeness. He says he will purify the sons of Levi. He'll take the priestly class, the Levites, those who are most pure among us, and he'll purify them as well. So it's a choice to hope, but it's also a commitment to truth that the psalmist calls us to. Verses 7 through 8 are the last movement. Oh, you, O oh Lord, will protect us. You will guard us from this generation forever. Yet on every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among humankind. There's two statements of truth in this passage. Two things that the psalmist holds in tension at the very end of this psalm. You will protect us. You will guard us. But right now, on every side, the wicked prowl and vileness is exalted. Those two things are both true. And the psalmist holds them together at the end without trying to reconcile them. And that's where we live almost all the time. Where the vileness is true. And the promise of God is sure. And so this psalm ends where it began. The last line of the psalm is no more hopeful than the first line of the psalm. He hasn't resolved everything and suddenly like Mary Sunshine begins to sing zippity doo or whatever. It's all great. It's all good. Don't you love that line? It's all good. No, it's not. It's bad. It's really bad. But God is good. He tells two truths. Life is hard and God is good. The psalm ends where it began with trouble. But what the psalmist has done in the midst of praying this trouble is he set that trouble in a context that's bigger than itself and where it won't ultimately prevail. So I think Psalm 12 tells the whole truth. It refuses to play the glad game. It refuses to merely call people to positive thinking. That's not what hope is. It refuses also to yield to despair. And says, stay faithful. Watch for the signs of God's work. Be, as Jesus says, be aware. Beware of the false prophets. And you'll know them by their fruit. Beware of the false prophets, but also be aware of God's presence. Because the truth will come out. The secrets that the evil carry will secrete their evil. And as Jesus says, wisdom will be vindicated by her children. The truth will out. The good fruit will show itself and the bad fruit will reveal itself to be bad. That's what Matthew 7 was all about when Krista read it earlier to us today. 
And as I thought about good and bad fruit, I thought about our trip to Campbell Farm last week, and on the way back, Marianne and I bought a box of peaches in Yakima. We all probably have a very interesting relationship with peaches. If you like peaches, you know that the ones you get in the grocery store can be very deceptive. You know that you let them ripen on your counter, and when they yield to your touch a little bit, you cut into it with a knife, and it's the most disgusting, mealy piece of mushy mass that has no sweetness in it at all. And you know immediately it's bad fruit, right? But it looks really good when you buy it. It looks really good. I have to report, though, when you buy them closer to the source, they're almost always pretty good. And so were these. A whole box, and it's, it's gone now. You use them quickly because it's like they're to be savored, and you better savor it. Because they're sweet, they're juicy, and the good ones restore your trust in peaches, don't they? <laughs> the bottom line of Psalm 12 is this simple. Time will tell the truth. The truth will come out. The lie will be exposed. So stay faithful. Or as Jesus says elsewhere, be of good courage. For in the world, you will have trouble. But I have overcome the world. Let's pray. What stood will stand, though all be fallen. The good return, the time has stolen. Though creatures groan in misery, their flesh prefigures liberty to end travail and bring to birth their new perfection in new earth. At word of that enlivening, let the trees of the woods all sing and every field rejoice. Let praise rise up out of the ground like grass. What stood, whole in every piecemeal thing that stood, will stand, though all fall field and woods, and all in them. Rejoin the primal Sabbath's hymn. Lord, help us to see and to sing about what lasts. In the face of adversity, lies, and the signs of decay, shine your light on what cannot be destroyed. And so give us the energy, the courage, the confidence to maintain that long obedience in the same direction. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.